Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, Macedonia of Thessalonica was with us. And the next day we sailed, we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and to receive care. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days, we arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Creek of Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Let's just stop there. <clears throat> Now let me read to you, you don't need to turn to this, but if you're, those of you who are doing the Word on Tuesday night, if you want to jot these down. Uh, Matthew 6 and 6. And Jesus said, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to, the fa- to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. And then Psalm 191, Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. The Apostle Paul is a prisoner, and he's on his way uh, to Rome. He was a Roman citizen, and so he appealed unto Caesar, and as was his citizen rights, he could do that. And so he was uh, a prisoner. Along with other prisoners, along with the ship's crew, there was 276 souls on board. And uh, you see there that the Roman authorities, uh, they probably commandeered a grain ship going to uh, Italy. Now the timing is very important here because, as we see in a moment or two, uh, we said, and it says that in verse 9, how that when the time of the fast was past. And most commentators believe that this particular fast was in October. And October was a dangerous time to seal. And these were dangerous waters to seal in. However, the Apostle Paul was a man of the secret place. He was a man who loved to get alone with God, to find God's heart, to know God's purposes, to know his will and his plan for his life. And so I want to encourage all of us today, and this has been a a kind of a theme now for a a few weeks, to close in with God in our personal lives, to find the secret place, to make sure that at some point each day, as much as you possibly can, 
at some point each day that you set some time aside to go and seek the Lord with all of your heart. You say, David, but you don't understand. I am very, very busy. Probably too busy. Too busy. So find some time, pencil in some time, get a place, a secret place, a place where there's only you and the Lord. Because what I find is if I go before the Lord by myself, then I don't have to wear any masks. There's no pretense. I am naked before a holy God. And so take time to have this secret place. I want us to examine this particular journey that Paul made. And I want to see and recognize the secret place in his life. And let's see if we can be encouraged by what we see and know to have a secret place. And so this past few months actually, and I suppose this has been reflected in my preaching here, that I have uh, had a deeper desire and a a renewed desire and a fresh desire uh, to seek the Lord with all of my heart, to know his will and purpose for my life and for the life of this church. You know, when you've been a long, long time in one place, Sometimes you need refreshed. Human nature being what it is, we need refreshed and we need to uh, get our sights set again and see what God wants and, and all the rest of it. So that is my heart at this particular time. And so in saying that, then we want to read here uh, a little bit about uh, Paul here in this secret place. And so in chapter 27, uh, we read down there to verse Uh, uh, verse 8. Now let's read verse 9 and 10. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and ship but also of our lives. First thing I want us to note here that the secret place is a seeing place. Sir, I perceive. Now, this wasn't what he was seeing with his natural eyes. Everybody could see that. They're all hardened sailors. They knew that the time of the year would be difficult, but they had done that many, many times. Apostle Paul was no stranger to boarding ships either. However, there was something about this journey that he perceived in his spirit. He sensed something right deep down in his heart. Now here is a man, because he spends time alone with God, he senses things, he perceives things. It's amazing if we do spend a little bit of extra time with the Lord in prayer and a meditation on his word. It's amazing the things that we shall perceive that will sense that God's Spirit is saying. And so he's seeing something with his eyes. He was the only one of 276 people that saw this, that perceived this. In 2 Kings chapter 6, in verse 8, It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. He consulted with his servants, saying, My camp 
will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he thought there was a spy in the camp. And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding in the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha could see more with his eyes closed than this young man could see with his eyes wide open. Because Elisha was a man of the secret place. Yes, he had a tremendous prophetic ministry, no question of that. But he was a man of the secret place. And here we have Paul, a man who spends time alone with the Lord. And he's warning them here about this particular journey because he senses and he sees something. Then in verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Those of this world will listen to the professional rather than listen to the prophet. He probably thought, well, what does he know? He's just a preacher. What does he know about sailing? Well, actually, he didn't have to know anything about sailing he just had to know the Lord. And so he was more minded. Listen to what happens. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Nevertheless, the majority advised to set sail. The world will always go with the majority. The broad road that the Bible says leads to destruction. You and I are on the narrow road Never be afraid or don't ever be embarrassed because you're the only believer in your office. You're the only believer in your classroom. Yes, you're in the minority with man, but you're in the majority with God. 
the majority were about to get it disastrously wrong here. If only they had listened to the man of God. But the natural man will always listen to the majority. The last thing that they wanted was some preacher telling them that they were heading for shipwreck. The last thing the world wants is some preacher telling them how to live their life. Sometimes the last thing some Christians want is some preacher telling them how to live their life also. That's another story. So he said, okay. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running onto the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured a skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run, against, run aground on the citrus strands, they struck seal and were so driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship, and on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. This is natural man trying to save himself. Hasn't a clue what to do. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. Couldn't be directed by the sun. Couldn't see the stars. Had no compass, no magnetic needle to tell him what was north. Blind, lost, helpless, hopeless. Trying to find their way through the seas of this life. That's a picture of the world, isn't it? It's a picture of the world that doesn't listen. It doesn't listen to the preacher. And so... Look what happens next. But after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not to have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Notice here uh, just something just as an aside. Notice here how that when he first perceived he said not only of the ship but also of our lives when he talked about loss. He wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. He knew something disaster was going to happen but he just couldn't pinpoint everything. But now he's fasted. He's prayed. He spent some time in the secret place. And now he knows exactly what's going to happen. And thankfully, he's able to say, not a life will be lost. You see, the secret place is a strong place. It's a strong place. Notice how he took charge. When all around him, when all the 
hardened veteran sailors was at their wit's end, not knowing what else could they do. Suddenly, in the midst of all of that panicking, Paul stood up and he took charge. Instead of panicking, he prayed. Instead of being fearful, he fasted. But you see, Paul was a man of the secret place. And while everyone else was at the mercy of the storm, he looked for the mercy of God. There's lessons in all of this for us, isn't there? Because there's going to be times in our lives without question when crises come and everything in you wants to panic and be fearful and be sick in your stomach. But that's the time to head to the secret place and get alone with God and get his perspective and say, God, what's happening? What is going on? I'm in the midst of a storm. <laughs> Remember Jesus at the most crucial moment of his life, just before he would go to the cross to face the horrors of crucifixion, which he'd be familiar with. He's seen it many times. What did he do? He goes to Gethsemane. He gets alone with his father. And he prays. And he wrestles in prayer until great drops of blood, as it were, came from his brow. But he headed for the secret place. Jesus was a man who liked to be alone with his father. He'd go into the garden. He'd go up the mountain. He'd go to a desert place. He wanted to be in the secret place. And if the Son of God felt he needed to be in the secret place, where does that leave me today? Where does that leave you today? Psalm 91 that we just read a moment ago. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. He who dwells. He who makes it his habit of being in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies, flies by day nor the pestilent walks in the darkness nor of the destruction that lies waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes 
eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample under foot, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lots of benefits and advantages being in the secret place, isn't there? not easy your flesh will fight it every inch of the way your flesh will scream at you <laughs> you will look at yourself and say I don't have the time or you will think Lord I'm going to do this again today and it's so difficult because my mind is all over the place that's why Jesus said, Matthew 6 and 6, when you go to pray, close the door. I'm just talking about physical door. Close the door. You have to close the door sometimes in your mind that wants to swing open and all kinds of stuff flood in. Or am I the only one that happens to... Isn't it amazing how when you're determined to pray and seek the Lord, how you go in, you know, and you say, Lord, I'm really going to pray today. I'm really going to seek you. And you go in, and within five minutes, your head is full of stuff. You haven't been thinking about it for months, and suddenly it comes in all directions. So you need to start slamming those doors. Shut them. Secret place. It's a strong place. Let's read on a little bit here. And then he says in verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. The secret place is a sacred place. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Now I'm not saying that when you go into your secret place that God's going to send an angel to speak to you. He did to Paul. He may not necessarily do that with us. He may. Who knows? But I'm not going to end looking for angels. But what you'll find is that your secret place will become a sacred place. You'll find that God will begin to speak to you through his word and by his spirit. He'll begin to, you'll begin to perceive and sense. Now, of course, you have to weigh all of those things. Because they're subjective. Sensing, perceiving, feeling. You have to weigh them. 
But if you're before God sincerely and you're weighing his word against what you feel and what you sense, your secret place can become a sacred place, a place where you meet with the Lord, a place that's important. You see, in the Old Testament, there were places that were sacred, that God had set apart to meet with man. Whether that was God saying, build me an altar, or build me a tabernacle, or build me a temple. And God would meet with man there. Or have a burning bush where God met with Moses. Somewhere that was set aside, that was sanctified onto meeting with God. A place where his presence would be and his glory would come. But Paul here is on a crowded, crowded, messy, smelly ship in the midst of a great storm. And his bunk becomes a sacred place. That little tiny square among everybody else that becomes the place where he closes himself off. I don't know how he did that. I don't know whether he put a blanket over his head or what he did. But that bunk became a sacred place at that moment because that's where God met with him. So it may be your room. Someday it may be in your car as you're driving to work. It, some of you maybe go for walks and you talk to the Lord while you're walking along a country road. But somewhere at that moment, that secret place where you're talking to the Lord and you're meditating on his word and you're thinking about him and his purposes, that can become a secret place where God shows up and speaks to you and presses upon your heart and the peace of God comes and the panic leaves. So the secret place can become a sacred place. And then as we read on further, <clears throat> For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed God has granted you all those who seal with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will just be as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Just think of this for a moment. All of those on board were saved because this one man was on board. If Paul had not been on board every soul would probably have been lost. Because here's one man who has a secret place, who seeks the Lord, and who is adamant and determined to be following the Lord every day of his life. Because of that, all of these people were spared. If we seek the Lord with all of our hearts, I wonder who will be spared in our family because we took the time and the effort and the discipline to have a secret place 
to meet with God. Then it says, Now when the fourteenth night had come, and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that we were drawing near some land. So they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. Then they'd gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors for this from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, little lifeboat as it were, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Here's a man in charge. Here's a man who's heard from heaven. Here's a man who's knowing what to do here in this situation. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and they let it fall. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Didn't feel like eating at all. Did you ever notice in the midst of a crisis, you don't feel like eating much? Your appetite leaves. Therefore, he said, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. The secret place is a sharing place. Here's a man who had something to share. Here is a man who sensed the need of the hour. Here is a man who realized that these people had great need and he had resources. He imparted something to them. He shared his confidence with them. He shared his faith with them. He shared his perception of how this would go with them. What God had given to him, he shared with them. And what God gives to us in prayer, maybe that we can lead somebody to the Lord, or we can encourage somebody, or we can put somebody on the right path. God gives us resources to share with others. Can you say amen? It's a sharing place. You remember Jesus, he said to those disciples, he said, Give them something to eat. That great crowd of 5,000 people besides women and children. When they wanted to put them away and send them away into the village. He says, no, he says, you give them something to eat. And they looked at their meager resources. Didn't have much between them. But it was enough. And Christ was involved. He supplied what they lacked. All they needed was obedience and trust. And with Christ, we have something to share with others. Christian, 
believer, listen to me this morning. You have something to share with the needy world out there. You have something to share. You can share Christ with them. You can encourage. You can inspire them. You can cause them to think about eternal things. You have something to share. It may be something practical you can share. Paul took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to God and he got them eating as well. Maybe something practical you can do to help somebody. You have something to share as a believer. Have you ever prayed for somebody and you've been praying for them? Lord, help them. Lord, meet that need. Lord, supply that need. And the Lord says, you supply it. You give to them. You take it out of your purse or your wallet and you give to them. Sometimes that's a bit of a shock when that happens. Because you're hoping the Lord would send somebody else. <laughs> well, that's what those disciples were hoping on the hillside that day. The Lord didn't send somebody else. He says, no, you give to them. You feed them. See, it's a sharing place. And so there's something that you can share. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Sometimes you don't have what the person's looking for, but you have what they need. Sometimes they don't even know they need it. And you have to share with them what they need. So believer this morning, listen to me. Let's us individually and corporately, let's have a secret place. You'll be blessed, you'll be benefited, and others will be encouraged and strengthened because of the resources you'll receive in that secret place. The secret place is something else. We'll see in a moment. Let's just continue on a little bit. Reading from verse 37. And all in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they observed a bay with a beach unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two seas met, where two seas meet, produces great tidal currents. You know that. This is one of those places where tidal currents were meeting. And so striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Now listen to this. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. The seeing place is a saving place. It's a place where people 
are saved, where they are rescued. He said in verse 22, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. And it was true. Just as he said. Lives for whom Christ died for are worth saving. Have you been instrumental in saving somebody's soul? Saving a life for eternity. Have you been instrumental in that? Either spiritually, either practically or emotionally, have you saved someone? Have you reached out and rescued somebody? Have you gone to somebody and put an armor on their shoulder and strengthened them and encouraged them when they were down, desperately beaten down, and you lifted them up and you saved them in that sense? Or have you witnessed to somebody and actually led them to the Lord? That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's why Johnny is doing these workshops. What a joy that would be if a report come back that you had actually led somebody to Christ by yourself. You led somebody to the Lord. The secret place is a saving place. When you give to missions or you go on a mission, you're saving people. You're saving lives. Often lives that nobody cares about. Often lives that nobody wants to go near to lift a hand to help. But you go and you save a life. Or when you pray for your family and you pray for them to come to the Lord and you're the one who intercedes for them, you're the one who weeps for them, you're the one who's greatly concerned about their eternal never dying soul and you do that and they come to Christ. You've been involved in the saving of a soul which is most precious. Or perhaps you invite them to church so you may be the means that God uses to save them. Secret place is a saving place. Listen to this in chapter 28. We'll be finished just in a moment. Now when they had escaped, then found out that the island, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said one to another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, when they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after that they had looked for a long time and saw no harm had come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> you see, secret place is a saving place. Not only for others, but also for ourselves as well. This was a serpent attack. This was a sudden attack. 
This was a surprise attack. This was a serious attack. Have you ever had an attack from that old serpent, the devil? Have you ever had a sudden, surprise, serious attack that came right out of the blue that you hadn't even thought about and suddenly he attacks you? This viper was venomous and it was vicious, but thank God it wasn't victorious. Glory to God. Amen. And it fastened onto his hand. But here's a man who loved the secret place. And he looked at it and he shook it into the fire. And they looked at him because they knew it was a poisonous snake. They knew their snakes. Whether Paul knew it or not, they knew it. And they looked and they looked and they looked. But no harm came to him. See, the secret place is a saving place. And it saves us. I wonder how many times the enemy has come out against us and we have been saved. I wonder how many times the enemy has sought to attack us. You know, the hand, whether it was the right hand or left hand, I don't know, but the hand often speaks of authority in the Bible. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. The disciple says, whenever you come into your kingdom, basically, they said, can we sit on your right hand, on your left hand, the place of authority? And the enemy of your soul wants to cripple your authority. He wants to attack your authority. He wants to take your authority. He wants to kill your authority that you have in Christ. But if you're in the secret place, it's a saving place. And you can shake that devil off, glory to God. You can shake him off in Jesus' name. And you can say, devil, you're not going to stop me. Because Christ is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my protector. He is my guardian. He is my guide. Finally, the secret place is a solitary place. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 6? But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, nobody Nobody can do your praying for you. Nobody can do your meditations and devotions for you. Now people can pray for you, but they can't do your devotions for you. You have to, by yourself. My wife prays for me, I pray for my wife, but she can't do my devotions and I can't do hers. She has to do hers, I have to do mine. You have to have a secret place, and I have a secret place. We can't do each other's. That's why Jesus says, when you go into your room and you shut your door, then you're 
And you pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Not even the Holy Spirit can do it all for us. He's our helper. And He helps us. But He can't and He won't do it all for us. We have to individually go into that place and seek the Lord. And let me tell you something. If we all individually as a church did that, then corporately we would be much stronger and much better than we ever were if we would do it individually. And what a difference it would make then when we come together corporately, when you spent a little bit of time with the Lord. Now, I taught last week about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and I talked about seeking the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you the question. Don't put up your hand, but just in your heart. Have you done that this past week? Or did what I say last week just go right over your head? Or you just get caught up in the busyness of life, and before you know it, another week is gone. But did you spend a little bit of time in this book? A little bit of time worshipping the Lord. And when you do that, it will make all the difference in your life. And whenever we all do that, it's going to make all the difference. When we come together corporately, let me tell you, the presence of the Lord just comes with us. Glory to God. It really does. And I am hungry, and I am desperate, and I am yearning, and I am desirous of the presence of the Lord. And I hope that you are too. And if all of us can seek the Lord and seek His presence in our lives and say, Lord, I want your presence. I want your nearness. I want to know. I want to sense, Lord, you're with me every moment of the day. And whenever we sense that and know that, then all the resources that comes with that, with His presence, will be ours. Amen. We're going to pray and we're going to break bread together. If you know and love the Lord, then this is his table, it's not ours. And we